On Being with Krista Tippett is supported in part by the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's Sharing Spiritual Heritage Report asks, How will we reimagine our spiritual infrastructure for today's time? Learn more at Fetzer.org. The visionary Ai Poo said this to me of Tarana Burke. There are just so many layers of hope that she brings to the world and to people like me, to survivors, to all kinds of communities. Aijan and Tarana are the conversation partners for this episode in our series, The Future of Hope. And what a conversation it is. We listen in on a brilliant friendship, a friendship that has powered and sustained two extraordinary women who are leading defining movements of this generation in time that call us to our highest humanity. Ijen, as you might remember from my conversation with her in early 2020, has been long ahead of a cultural curve we are all on now, of seeing the urgent calling to update and transform not just how we value the caregiving workforce of millions, but how we value care itself as a society. She co-founded and leads the National Domestic Workers Alliance. She and Tarana first intersected in 2018, a year after the quiet beginnings of Me Too got very loud as the revelations about Harvey Weinstein and others burst into public view. Me Too in its fullness, as Tarana has said, is a statement that I'm not ashamed and I'm not alone. And from survivor to survivor, I see you. I hear you, I'm here for you, and I get it. What you are about to hear is intimate, revelatory, and rooted in trust and in care. It's an invitation, too, asking all of us to imagine and build a more graceful way to remake the world. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. This conversation came together, as things do now, over Zoom with iGen in Chicago and Tarana in Baltimore. All right. It's just me and you, Key. It's just me and you. <laughs> what I've been waiting for. <laughs> um, okay. So, how are you, by the way? I'm okay. I have become... Um, one of those people that I used to talk about now, I'm a, I'm a plant person. I, I, went from, <laughs> I went from the person that killed plants to having like 75 plants in my house. And Are you serious? No, I am, I am that plants? person. I do. It, it sounds crazy like I have a jungle, but they're spread out. I have really little ones. I have big ones. So that's my relaxation now. So I have like an app on my phone. Oh, you're a plant lady. I'm a plant lady now. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited I mean, about it. of all the things you could be doing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We are going to put a pin on that and <laughs> come back to that. We're overdue for yeah. a catch up yeah, on yeah, so clearly. many levels. <laughs> um, but today we are going to talk about hope. <sighs> And feels like that word just washes over you, right? <laughs> right? You hear, yeah. You hear hope, it's like, oh, that's a good one. <sighs> it's a good word. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a really good word. And when I was just thinking about uh, preparing for this conversation, the reason why I wanted to do it with you is because there are just so many layers of hope mm-hmm. um, that you bring to the world and mm. to people like me, 
to survivors, to all kinds of communities that you have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wanted to just like explore that because I don't know how much you've really thought about that. And um, well, what I thought at the beginning of this year was like everybody was so tired mm -hmm. from last year and the four years before that. <laughs> <Right>. and, um, <laughs> and kind of traumatized, you know, mm -hmm. and dealing with so much loss from COVID and all the disruptions in our lives. And there was a way in which people entered this year, it felt like from a place of doom and gloom. Like everybody was being yeah. really negative about elections, really negative about this administration, really yeah. negative about so many things. And I just thought, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work out for us. Yeah. And this vibe is not a winning vibe. Yeah. And so if we are going to do what needs to be done this year or any year, we have to figure out how to channel hope. And yeah. so I just decided at the top of 2022 that I was going to be militant about hope and Ooh. cultivating hope. And so that's where I am. It is like <laughs> we have to we have, we have to channel it. We have to generate it. And one of the things that I thought about in in preparing for this conversation with you is just mm -hmm. the fact that you and I are of the same age, same generation, mm -hmm. and we never knew each other really in New York. I know. Even though we kind of came up and we come around the same the people. Same people, mm -hmm. the same generation, the same movements, yeah. the same mentors. <laughs> it's um, so interesting. It's a, it's so interesting that our first conversation was after I was 45 years old <laughs> um, in 2018. And one of the things that made me so hopeful about that is like, you became one of the most important people in my life, hmm. like overnight in 18. And I went from my whole life without being in any kind of relationship to you. And imagine, like, that makes me hopeful because there are probably other incredible souls who will change your sense of what's possible yeah. and will change your life in such beautiful ways that are still out there that we have yet to meet, yeah. right? You remind me of that. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to talk to you today. That's so, that's such an incredible sentiment, but I, I do, I feel like that about our little group in general, right? Like that became, <clears throat> and even just all the things that happened, um, you know, nobody, not, I'm going to say nobody, it's such an exaggeration, but it was just so hard to do this work. And, and it always felt like an uphill battle in a vacuum. Um, that's right. And it would always be, the winds would always be little blips on the map that felt good to us. And it felt, you know, good to survivors. And we always had to try to make them feel bigger <laughs> than they were mm -hmm. to try to generate hope, right? To try to generate more hope to, to keep people in the game and keep them moving forward while trying to mitigate our feelings of feeling like, this, how do we continue to do this? And how do we continue to generate um, the energy to keep going when we know we have so far to go and such a mountain to climb? And then 2017 came like lightning. And it was like, wow, <laughs> not only is this possible, but it's sort of like, you know, when you, um, 
you know, they kick over like an ant farm or something, <laughs> you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you kick over. And you're like, Whoa. you're like, oh, shoot, there's not just, there's, there's, a, there's like thousands of us, right? There's millions of us. It, it was not just like lightning struck, but then you found all of this community. Um, yeah. That was, you talk about finding hope. It was like, I feel like that about not just the way um, that moment happened, but there's several moments like that, but certainly finding community in our in the work that we do was big, 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 big. I could, you know, as I say this to y'all all the time, I could not have possibly made it through the last four or five years without our sisterhood. <laughs> no way possible. No way. Same. Yeah. No Same. way possible. It was an era of some of the biggest transformations in the world and in ourselves and there was no way we were going to do it without each other no no (laughs) just no way just yeah Um, no (laughs) no people could never understand no no that's right I'm curious about you mentioned I think that that is so true the way you described it of our whole job has been to help small groups of people break out of the isolation of their experience or individuals, individual survivors, individual domestic workers, break out of the isolation of their experience, find community and connection. Then we build these small communities of connection. But then we know that there's millions more people out there. And sometimes for years, it can feel like a tree falling in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Like this group right, may have built community and found each other. And that is so important. And it's a miracle in and of itself. And it isn't what we need if we're going to disrupt the status quo and build something different. We need it to not feel like a tree falling in the wilderness, but actually... All the trees falling. (laughs) All the trees. All the trees. Right. And, um, And I'm curious in your journey what the role of hope has been in that process. You know, it's, it's so, it sounds corny, I guess, when, when you say it, because people have made, um, you know, have watered it down and I think overuse it. And I think it didn't help that it was Obama's slogan, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but it really is the driving force. It's, it's all we have to keep going because this work is just so hard. And the, the 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 what we are trying to achieve is so big, and we don't have any idea. <laughs> we like you know you have you you um you get a big win or you achieve you you, you move the the needle a little bit, uh, you impact the narrative, whatever the thing is, right? You get this big huge thing, your work goes viral, <laughs> right? And you're like, my gosh, that's incredible. Um, you can only hope to have that kind of impact, right? I, I remember very, very clearly, you know, that day of writing writing down my hopes for this work in a notepad, in a steno pad. I had zero dollars, <laughs> both personally and to put towards this work. I had zero connections in the world, right? I had my community. I had the people around me. But I knew, I knew clearly that it had, you know, I could see sort of 
the writing, like what would it take? I knew that I had to get a bigger platform. I knew that different people than me had to talk about this, right? People who other people listened to. So I knew that. I remember the names that I wrote down of like celebrities and things like that, that I wish would talk about this. Mm -hmm. I knew that like I was moved by Oprah's story Mm -hmm. and listening to her talk about it. So what if she did this? I knew like I I would, we would use Gabrielle Union and Mary J. Blige and all these other people in schools, not classrooms to tell their Mm -hmm. stories. I could only hope to get people like that interested in telling their survivor stories and dealing with little black girls. But you just keep doing it, hoping that you can get somebody. So our whole setup is like 90% hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that is that you can work hard enough, plan big enough, just, you know, you do all the work and then you just really, really, really hope that it's good enough, important enough, big enough, strong enough, you know, all of those things. And you got to keep that sort of in front of you. And that's it. Right. The rest of it is just the work. You're just working, 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 and hoping for a miracle. You know? I love that formula. It's like, do the work plus hope yeah. equals miracle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? You know what that makes me think about is the the fact that you were, long before the viral moment, you were already thinking about like a true organizer, like what if Gabrielle Union did this and what if Oprah did this and what if, and, and, and kind of connecting those dots. And, and to me, there's something um, so powerful about the creativity of hope hmm. and that if it it's the base or the root of how we as organizers are able to be creative. Yeah. If you are cynical and you are negative and you don't believe that winning is possible, there's no way to be creative. And the kind of creativity that's required to address any of the problems that we're dealing with, it's it's just like extraordinary. So I just, it's that, that relationship between hope and creativity, I feel like is perfectly um, illustrated in your example just now. You know, it's so funny when I look back, I have this box of, of stuff, right? And I have in this box. So I was... I was about 28, 29 when I first started getting into this and and which is obviously a fully grown adult. But now that I'm almost 50, I'm looking back at that as like a kid. But I was just like, I was certainly hopeful and optimistic and not cynical because I was like writing letters to these people. I would like go online and find their the record label or the so-and-so. <laughs> this and is so, amazing. So I have these letters that I wrote to like Fantasia and Queen Latifah. I still have copies of the letters and my little folders because in my mind, as an organizer, it made sense, right? The, the issue made sense. Their connection to it made sense. And it's like, if I can just get them to just get the, this information in front of them, clearly they'll want to engage in this thing. But I didn't hinge. That wasn't my strategy for the work. It's like, that's an extra thing. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But I would send this stuff out to people and I would like, you know, hoping that they would one day connect to it. And that's and that's actually how I got. We got early on Essence um, invited us to come to like Essence Fest and set up in their community tent or whatever, because I just used every connection I could. I did. I definitely knew pop culture was a part of the answer 
to mm. um, growing this movement into something that, you know, that the world needed to, it needed to be connected to pop culture in some kind of way. I did not understand or even think it was possible to be what it is now. Social media wasn't around in that way, so I couldn't understand this as a thing. But I, but I definitely knew pop culture was part of the answer. And I just, it really was, I just think about the, the hopefulness of, of youth, you know, mm-hmm. and just like that. Um, it's really important to hold on to that, that level of hopefulness. And I try really hard not to lose, completely lose that. Because as we get older and, you know, cynicism you know sets in much. a little bit. Yeah, you know too much. <laughs> Which is why what happened in the last five years blew me away. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. over time... Where I started, I had long since stopped trying to engage celebrities and where I started with Me Too and just sending out the letter. I had long since stopped doing that. That that was 10, you know, by the time Me Too and viral, it had been 10 years. So Mm. those things were not remotely a part of my strategy anymore. It had become a, a concrete program and like we were organizing in a totally different way and that was like part of the early, early, early version of the work. Yeah. So it was like, look at this. <laughs> this is where that's we started. Another, yeah. Well, that's another thing that makes me hopeful, which is that um, I was just having this conversation with, with one of the co-founders of the Domestic Workers Alliance, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, is a, was a nanny and is now an organizer at NDWA. And she directs our Black organizing program. And she was saying... You know, 15 years ago, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary mm-hmm. this year. Can you it's believe amazing. that? She was like, 15 years ago when we started this thing, there is no way we could have seen what would have unfolded or where we would be right. and all the people we would be connected to. And and that, to me, is so hopeful because, like, everything that we are today never showed up in a strategic plan mm-hmm. right it never <laughs> and it means that there there are these dimensions of possibility that we can't yeah. see or plan for because hope is like a seed which to me is hopeful yeah the hope is like a seed i, I really feel like at the height of it wh- wherever you are in life i don't think it's just about youth i think when you have pure unfiltered um, creativity, the, 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 what you were talking about, the creativity that hope makes possible. And it is, it really is, that, that excitement I had, the letters I was writing, that came from a very pure place. It, it may have been naive, you know, but it definitely came from a, a pure place. I really thought just from the urgency of the, of the issue that that alone would make these people interested. And come to find out, it did later, but I thought, you know, my lonely self in Selma, Alabama could write a letter that would make it through all of these channels and, and get to them. But but it did. I do believe that that planted a seed, that that hope is like a seed and it planted it somewhere in the universe. And that was nurtured over time and it gave birth to a thing eventually. I, I really do believe that. And I think that happens in all kinds of ways. And that's why hope is important, because it doesn't manifest, you know, it's not like a chia pet, right? <laughs> like, just put it in there. I wish it were. Could we get some hope chia pets going? 
know, you're not going to like water it in five days and have the thing you, I mean, maybe for some people, right. It's, you know, some people, but, but for the, for most, for the most part, I think you have to believe it in your heart at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there was some part of me, even if we left that alone as a strategy, you know, not from a cynical place, but from a practical place more so. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't think working on that as a strategy for 10 years would have been practical mm-hmm. either. Um, but left that alone from a practical place, but not from a, I didn't, I don't, I didn't leave alone in my heart that this was something that was necessary. I just had to move on to what was practical and what was right in front of me and deal with what was there. Um, but that, that seed was out there. Mm-hmm. And it was like left in the wind to, to come to fruition. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today for our series, The Future of Hope, a conversation between two extraordinary women and friends, Tarana Burke, who started the Me Too movement, and the powerful and visionary organizer around care and caregiving, Ai Jen Poo. The other day, Brian Stevenson, um, I heard him speak about, in response to a question about hope, he said that his, uh, his grandfather, who was enslaved, mm. had no material basis for believing that he could be free and that slavery could be ended. There was nothing, right. no rational data. Right. Why would you? <laughs> that would lead one who was enslaved to believe that they could actually achieve freedom. And if he did not have that hope, Mm -hmm. where would we be today? Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so it is this cultivation of the seeds of possibility that are actually going to grow plants that we have no idea what they're going to look like. Yeah. In the end, right? That's why, isn't Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope? That's right. Yeah, because that, that's the word that came to me just now, and I was like, maybe that came from that. But it is there is just just a little bit of audacity in it that says I can. The audacity part is what makes you like maybe I'll just reach out, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll just try because it's this is logical in my mind. These things all connect. I even I remember when my girlfriend when I was first starting and. I called it the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And she was like, why are you not calling it a program? Because, you know, the organization was Just Be. And we mm-hmm. had a program called Jews. And it was the Jews program. And this was like the next thing we were doing. And she was like, why are you calling it the Me Too movement? Because I was like, this is not a program. That's right. This is not, a, I don't want it to be a program. And she was like, so you're going to put a movement in the schools? <laughs> I was like... It's for the schools. It's for the streets. It's for the, it's not. It's just. I just was so insistent. I was like, it's not a program. This is a movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is bigger than you know. And I was. I, I really didn't even have a um, quite not not. It wasn't illogical, but I didn't have like a logical answer. I just kept saying because it's not a program. It's not You're a program. Right. You know. You were right, and I and I feel like what happened with the Me Too movement going viral 
was a miracle because mm-hmm. you had already been living as a leader of a movement that had not yet been born. And that was what was such a miracle to to me as, you know, somebody who'd been organizing and working with survivors for a long time. The fact that the moment the movement was ready to be kind of elevated exploded yeah. in the way mm-hmm. that it did, you were there and ready to lead. I mean, there's so many moments where there's an opening in our culture, in our politics, in our economy, and we don't have the right people in place to lead. But you were ready. You were ready for years. It's an it's an incredible. Um, I remember the night, maybe the, the the first or second night, I was on the phone with my girlfriend, and I said, "I just think I I should do something different." I was like. Let's let them have this. I don't want to fight with people about who started it, who did this, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, do something like what? <laughs> and I was like, I can do the same thing. I'll just call it something different. I'll start all over. And she was like, that's ridiculous. This is, this is, that's dumb. This is, you know, people are clamoring to understand what's happening in this moment and you can explain it. And I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not trying to fight people, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Tarana, you sound... You, I'm just gonna let you go to sleep, right? Because you know, you just, I was just, I just was so defeated in that in that moment, you know, and and it just, you know, I had a whole bunch of moments like that. But I remember thinking that, and it just was the constant call to come and having to to have people um, need something from me, right? Like need a, mm-hmm. even if it was just a small, like, can you help me understand this or why are they saying this? Or am I a part of the Me Too movement? And I was constantly answering these questions, answering these questions one-on-one or on a on a news program or whatever it was. And it was like, oh, you, there's a void here that needs to be filled. Like there's a space that needs to be filled. And, and, it, and it's a dangerous void actually, right? Because mm-hmm. if somebody steps into this to fill it that is not aligned with where we need to go in this moment, this could go off the rails quickly. So I just feel like that was just, you know, the the, the stars aligned and that you're right, it really happens in that moment because I could been, have been swallowed and spit out easily. Mm-hmm. You know, we definitely know that. Yep, and it happens all the time. All the time. Really. <laughs> all the time. Right? That's the other, having hope and maintaining hope is also a chore. And and that's something we should be work. honest about, right? That it's work. It is not easy to be hopeful all the time. And that's the other beautiful part about um having people around you who are encouraging and who are constantly reminding you that you are built for this moment, that you are um, meant for this moment, that this is that you're right for this moment. That's the way that I've been able to maintain hope, certainly for the last four and a half, five years, because it was the the people that were put in. And a lot of them are new, right? I was certainly from the camp of no new friends, right? I've had the same friends for the longest time, same, you know, people I keep close. But I've made tons of new friends or at least very specific new friends. Like you were saying, we came into each other's lives 
after being orbiting around each other for such a long time and then became like, God, how many hours and hours and hours of phone time, FaceTime. And, and, and there were times when we saw each other probably more than we saw our closest friends for, I mean, we spent so much time together in 2018 and 2019. It just was all the time. Right. And so you have these new people. We became fast friends. We had we had built a bond of trust overnight, right? And it was just right. so, and it was pouring into each other constantly to make sure that we stayed hopeful and stayed clear and steered clear, <laughs> right, of things that would diminish oh, our- toxic. Right, that would diminish our hope and would diminish our capacity and our energy. And that was mm-hmm. also- I think I think that because in particular that I also think that's the fruit of seeding those seeds of hope from early in our lives. I that's think right. that you attract other people to you who have a similar path and a similar sort of thinking around those kind of things and that's why I think that we in particular because there were other people, right? But I yeah. think why we in particular were attracted to each other and stayed close to each other and held each other up. short break, more with Tarana Burke and Ai-jen Poo. On Being with Krista Tippett is supported in part by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the latest discoveries in the science of hope and optimism, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today for our series, The Future of Hope, a door to listen in on a brilliant friendship, a friendship that has powered and sustained two extraordinary women behind defining movements that call us to our highest humanity. Tarana Burke started the Me Too movement. Aijen Poo is the next generation labor organizer who co-founded a beautiful and muscular movement with nannies and domestic workers and caregivers, the National Domestic Workers Alliance. One of the things that I think uh, you really taught me is something that, well, two things that I think are so key for people now, given what we've just been through One is the relationship between healing and action. Mm -hmm. You were the first person to really articulate what I now believe to be the ultimate truth, which (laughs) is that there is healing in action Mm -hmm. and that in some ways uh, healing is usually thought of as kind of an individual pursuit to be done in isolation. And action is the kind of thing that you maybe do more collectively. And you really taught me that there is healing in action and that healing itself is also a form of action. Exactly. And both have to be done both individually and collectively. Absolutely. 
And those binaries that we have are actually not helpful and they're not real for survivors. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you can't just kind of partition your life out. Yeah. I think that's so important for for now. And I've thought so much about how you are the perfect leader for this time in this country because hmm. so many people are grappling with trauma. And who better to help us navigate that trauma than survivors? I think about that all the time. Like the lessons. A portion of my TED talk was going on circulating around last year That's during right. the during the, yeah, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about the portion about trauma and the collective trauma. And I was like, yeah, this it makes absolute sense because it, it's more than about because we're all surviving right now. And it's it's so, so true. And like well, this is it's boy, it's if we ever thought about collective trauma, it is this, this thing that we are all doing first the four years prior. And then to come out of that and come right into this moment, it's just like it feels relentless, you know. Um, and then people have layers of trauma that they are already dealing with and I, I'm I'm actually in this moment. I've been asked over and over and over again the lessons I've learned mm. um, in the last several years, and a lot of it is about you know about healing and trauma and that, and that kind of thing. But a lot of it is about grace, and mm. and that is my new not new, but that is what I've been focusing on a lot. I gen almost obsessively <laughs> for the mm. last the last year because it is. This idea that we are, um, because of the trauma, I think we have, that we are experiencing collectively and individually, we have lost our ability to extend grace to each other, mm-hmm. both in the, tr- the traditional sense, right? The way that we think about grace. Um, and I mean, like, not just religiously, but just grace. That we, oh, yeah. You know. I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. But then there's this the idea that grace is one of the, few things that we have, ideas that we have that, that that kind of by definition expands on itself, right? We can we can bend and shape and mold grace into all these beautiful things and use it in all these beautiful ways. And we don't. We don't use it and utilize it. Um, and I've watched us turn on each other in movement mm-hmm. and in politics and in mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And and it's really, I think, because of the trauma that we've that we're experiencing, mm. and because healing feels so far away and hard, and I feel like hope feels hard, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like grace is an activator. Like mm-hmm. we have the values, right? We know if you ask. The average person, not maybe, or not the average person, but if we ask people who, who, what their values are, and like, I believe in love and respect and honesty, and but what is the thing that makes you remember that in the moments that you need it? You know, what is it that that makes you remember to be hopeful? What is it that makes you remember to love thy neighbor? What is it that makes you remember? Mm-hmm. Like, we need to. What I feel like grace is a is a great activator, mm. and it's and. We are not leaning into it. And so I'm, I'm thinking and writing about revolutionary grace, mm. that we need to revolutionize the, the idea of grace. And also the, I, this thing that we, I also hate the way it's been um, sort of turned against the most marginalized folks, the most, the, the people who 
needed the most. So they asked the poorest of us, the, the those of us who have the least resources, those of us who, who are um, the most traumatized to extend grace out, but we don't mm-hmm. get extended grace too, right? right? Right. So when I was watching the uprising, you know, in 2020, you know, the when when you when you're watching that or even the all the um Asian folks who are being attacked and you see the Still interviews attacked, afterwards. Yeah. yeah. You always see people who are asking people to calm down or to right. put things in context or um all of that. Right. And you want them, you want us to extend grace. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, where's the grace for us? Right. For our anger. Our anger deserves right. grace right. and space. Our anger, our 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 hurt and our trauma deserves grace. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the stuff that I've been I can't this is the stuff I've been thinking about. I'm trying to relate it back to hope <laughs> and and the way I'm trying to like this is what keeps me hopeful is that mm-hmm. I am trying to figure out what we need in this moment to stay hopeful, but to stay like what, what humanity needs. Mm-hmm. And it, we need heapings of hope and we need heapings of grace. And these those kind of words are associated with weakness and are associated with not being critical and not being radical and not being rigorous. And, you know, all of these things that people feel like you have to be in order to be whatever. And I'm like, I feel like it's opposite. That's right. It's it's opposite of that. You know, all this stuff that we're fighting for, this place that we're trying to get to, right? Because whether you're fighting for climate control, climate change, or uh, against domestic violence, sexual violence, for white supremacy, we're all fighting the same systems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We have That's different right. lanes, but we're all essentially fighting, the, you know, the same systems. So this world that we're trying to get to, this world that we want at the end of the day, when we get there, what will it look like if the fight that we're fighting now, if we're fighting this way? It, I remember when I was younger, my aunt used to always tell me, watch how people fight. Like mm. in relationships, she was like, when, you with, when you're in a relationship with somebody, always watch how they fight. Mm-hmm. If you're in a relationship with a man, watch how he fights. If he's nasty, will curse you out, call you out your name, whatever, in a fight. You don't, and then you don't want to be in a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. If you were to have a friend and they'll fight dirty, talk about you behind your back, even if you make up later, watch how people fight. And I think about that. Mm, that is so profound. It's, I, it's, it's, it's true. That is so profound. It's so true. And that's where your whole piece about radical grace is so important. Because... We in the fight, if we cannot show up in the fight with grace. This is what I'm saying. How are we going to get to where we need to go? How are we going to get there? How are we going to lead people there? Who would follow us? Who would follow us? <laughs> who, who would want to follow us there? And, 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 and we're also teaching people, because I also watch the people, we create these factions so not only are we're fighting and then we create people who want to fight each other. So then we get there and we have what? What is this place that we're trying to get to? This this place of liberation? I do not think that we can have movements that have liberation politics that don't have a politic of grace. 
That's right. It the politic just, of grace. It that's, just doesn't make that sense is, to me. That is right. This formula is work plus hope plus grace equals miracle. <laughs> that's it. We need, we need lots of miracles. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're writing about this because I really believe that if this is coming up for you so much, there is a reason that this is the next phase of where we need yeah. to go. And this, this conversation is in the context of a series called The Future of Hope. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm taking is that the future of hope is about also cultivating grace. Yeah. It has to be, right? It has to be. I mm. think grace is the next mm. wave. <laughs> hope is like domestic work. It's the work that makes all other work possible. Hope is the ingredient that makes any change possible. Come on. Say that. This is what I'm hope saying. Hope and grace. Hope and, I mean, really. And and honestly, if we did not extend tons and tons and tons of grace to this country, we would have torn it apart by now. You would be you, you. This country is lucky that the least of these in this in in, in the, these United States has has continued to extend grace to you on a daily basis. Mm. So do not dismiss grace and hope. <laughs> right? It is powerful. It is. They are quite powerful. Quite mm-hmm. quite powerful. Yep. It's so easy to be cynical, mm-hmm. and it's so easy to be angry and kind of critique and tear down and because that's kind of the energy out here right now all the time (laughs) you know that there's a that it's kind of brave to show grace and to be hopeful yeah right it's been kind of associated with weakness but or naivete or what have you Mm -hmm. but in the end especially now now more than ever maybe it's brave. I think it's, and I think the tide is changing. I think people are just, it's, it's slowly, but I just can see little bits of it. People are getting tired of it. Mm-hmm. It is just, there has to be something else. I'm telling you, this is why I've become so, over the last year, just, I got, I'm so tired of social media and mm-hmm. just the way I've seen people attacked and torn down for mm-hmm. being human, mm-hmm. you know? And those of us, and you, I know you know this well, when you're in the public eye and you mm-hmm. are just, you're still a human being, oh, there's gosh. just no room for error. There's, there's no room. No, there's no roadmap for this. I'm still a regular person who has just thoughts like you do. And That's I'm out right. here and I'm like, you know what? I think this might work for this thing that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And then you try it and you're like, oh, wow, that didn't work. Yeah. And there's no space to say, hey, that didn't work. Yeah. And that's on both ends, right? I think that's for right. the for the people in leadership and in the public eye, you are so afraid to say, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to work and it didn't work because people mm-hmm. chew you up so badly. And then mm-hmm. for the people, it's like, oh, my God, you led us astray. You made a mistake. And it's like, there's just no... There's no space on either side. Mm-hmm. And it, it just it's just awful to watch people not be able to be human and other mm-hmm. and people not allow people to be human. 
And mm-hmm. there we have to insert some grace in there and we have to allow people to hope out loud. Yes. You know, hope out loud. Please. <laughs> Please. Can we just, can I just say, I hope this works? Yes. You know? Yes. Like, again and again and again, again. Yeah. I hope this works. I think I'm, I think I know what I'm doing. I've done it for a while. Mm-hmm. I really want to try this. You know, I hope this works. <laughs> I hope this works. You know? And if it doesn't, I'm going to show myself a little grace. And I hope you will, too. I hope you will, too. We just, God, would that be? That's like, that feels like Narnia. (laughs) You know, but I believe we can get there. I do. I think you're right. I think that there's enough of us who are feeling this, who are feeling done with um, this environment that is so hard on humanity (laughs) we gotta turn the ship you know we have to we have to turn the ship it just we are gonna do it yeah we have no choice we have to do we're gonna do it we're gonna do it (laughs) we are i hope i believe i believe (laughs) i love you so much i do too i love talking to you you're such a calming spirit and i never got to say congratulations on your beautiful stunning gorgeous well searing book it is thank you a feat it is that book is a miracle i i received that thank you so much because it was felt like a miracle to get out of my body (laughs) just felt like i can only imagine it felt like a miracle but i am pleased and I, if there's any hope to 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 impart um, from the book to survivors, that there is more freedom out there for us, and mm. the more truth you tell yourself. I mean, forget about the the testimonies and the telling the world. And I, and I always say that, but really, for real, it's really about the truth that we tell ourselves. And I gave myself a healthy heaping of truth in this book. That was really a gift to me. And in return, I got access to more freedom that I didn't even know was available to me. And mm. I just, it's its hard, but it is so worth it. Mm. So, yeah. Amen. 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 Ooh, I'm so lifted. <laughs> I feel so lifted. Thank you, my yes. dear. Thank you. Burke is the founder of the Me Too movement. Among her many accolades, in 2019, she was awarded the Sydney Peace Prize and the Gleitzman Citizen Activist Award from Harvard's Center for Public Leadership. Her book is Unbound, My Story of Liberation and the Birth of the Me Too Movement. Ai-jen Poo is co-founder and executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, director of Caring Across Generations, and co-founder of Supermajority. Among her countless awards, she was a 2014 MacArthur Fellow. 
She's the author of The Age of Dignity, Preparing for the Elder Boom in a Changing America. And you may remember my previous wonderful conversation with her for On Being in 2020. It's called This is Our Caring Revolution. Find it at onbeing.org and in your podcast feed. Project is Chris Hegel, Loren Drummerhausen, Aaron Colasacco, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, Lucas Johnson, Suzette Burley, Zach Rose, Colleen Check, Julie Seipel, Gretchen Honnold, Jale Akavan, Padrigo Tuma, Gautam Shrikishan, April Adamson, Ashley Herr, Matt Martinez, Amy Chatelaine, Cameron Musar, and Kayla Edwards. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent, nonprofit production of The On Being Project. It is distributed to public radio stations by WNYC Studios. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on Earth. Learn more at Calliopeia.org. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. On Being is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.